Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. How many mothers do we have in here? We have a we have a lot of mothers. Nobody wants to raise their hand. I never want to raise my hand when someone asks me. Not that question, but just questions in in general. Um, yeah, I have I have a mother also. Um, I'm really I'm really thankful for her. Um, she's always been there for me, even on my first birthday. My mom was there. She's she's very special to me. She's obviously she's not in here right now. She's down there um, teaching in Sunday school, and that's one of the things that I'm most thankful for about my mom is she loves the Lord, and uh, she taught me about Jesus my whole life. I wasn't always a very good listener, though. As I'm told, I know it's shocking. Um, there was, I guess, one time, I don't remember this, so it might not be true, but everyone, everyone else seems to think it is, where I guess I, I was little, and I went grocery shopping with my mom, and um, I was helping her um, select items off the shelf um, and putting them into the cart, and uh, I thought, I, I think I thought, I was probably doing a really good job. And, uh, but I, I guess I was a little bit of a pill because my mom said that the next time we went grocery shopping, before I even got into the grocery store and we just got out of the car, uh, car, I got a big wallop on the bottom and my eyes got big like an owl. And she said, you remember last time when you didn't listen? You're not doing that again. And supposedly I was an angel, um, that time when, when we went shopping. My mom was always uh, very busy. She never sat still. She was always uh, working really hard to take care of my sister and I and my, my dad. He needed a lot of help. And I think she's working even harder now. Um, but, I, but I like to take the credit for the fact that um, even though my mom was so busy and never seemed to have time for herself, thanks to me, she made time to sit down and read a book called how to Raise a Strong-Willed Child. And she read that book three times. And all joking aside, I, I grew up in a, in a wonderful Christian home, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, sometimes I wish uh, I would have just listened a little bit better um, to my parents, of course. Um, hopefully someone else in here can relate to that. Um, listening is key to uh, our growth and maturity, especially to our spiritual maturity. And Jesus cries out for us this morning to hear His Word and receive His Word so that we would produce righteousness in our lives that would save us. We're going to continue in James. If you would turn with me to James chapter 1 and we'll read 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am inadequate to speak this. 
and I feel it. And Lord Jesus, we need this Word. Your Word saves us. You tell us to receive Your Word, Lord. And so right now, God, would You speak through me God's seed to be planted in our hearts and to grow so that we would receive the implanted Word, cast off all of the filth in our lives and cling to You. God, would You do that right now, right here? We need You, Lord. In Your name, Amen. Salvation comes from hearing and receiving the Word of God. The Word of God is what strengthens us and helps us to persevere through life. It's said that the Sermon on the Mount and the book of James are parallel. And looking at um, our three verses that we have this morning in the book of James 19 through 21, I think that the conclusion in the Sermon on the Mount parallels our verses very well. If you would look with me at Matthew chapter 7, let's read verses 24 through 29. It's pretty familiar. It's the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at the teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Everyone who hears the word of God and obeys the word of God is like a man who, or a woman who built his house on the rock. The unshakable. We all want to have a firm, unshakable foundation so that when the rain of life's trials fall upon us, we persevere. And sometimes that rain comes like a storm. As it says in James, when that time happens, we need not grow angry at the Lord. It's a huge warning for us in our passage this morning. When I began studying this passage and and I was looking at it, it seemed logical to me. I I was thinking, okay, I... I see the flow of, hear the word of the Lord. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Then it says, slow to anger. What is anger? Well, I knew what anger was. Why anger here? Why does does God have that in here? What, What does he mean by anger? And anger in this verse refers to a deep rooted resentment against the word of God. And so I thought to myself, why is God having James write the letter like this? Why does James wait until verse 19 to charge his people to listen and receive the Word of God? Why didn't he just begin the book of James with it? Seems like it would make sense to me. 
I'm James, the servant of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Follow the word of the Lord. Don't be angry at the word of the Lord. And then go on and instruct them. I read this over and over again. I'm like, why? Why do we wait till verse 19? Where, where, where are we going? Or they didn't have verses back then, but why so far into into the letter? And as I read it over and over again, I I, I feel like I started to get a feeling for maybe some of the emotions that the hearers had when they were reading the letter. And then I got a sense of the compassion that God had as He's speaking to His people in the church. And it started to make sense to me. Let's see if I can relay that this morning. We remember that James addressed this letter to the dispersion. The readers of this letter were by and large Christian brothers and sisters who were going through major trials and persecution. They were dispersed all over the place. Many of them had witnessed uh, persecution, maybe killing of some of the Christians. They're living in fear of their own lives. And they're hurting inside. So James begins with mentioning their trials because he is eager to embrace their hurting. God knows what they're going through and He cares about them. He goes right to where, where they're hurting and He says, I love you. He speaks hope to them by reminding them that even through all their trials, their joy is in Christ. We know that the people were probably weary and they're beginning to doubt their faith and maybe even blame God because of the situation that they're in. Probably questioning, why in the world did I begin a relationship with Jesus in the first place? Where is He at? This isn't what I signed up for. What, what is going on here? And so it's possible with, with all the different trials and the hurt and the different things that they're experiencing that maybe there starts to form some anger and some resentment towards God and His Word. As I was thinking about that, I was reminded of the Israelites when God brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they're wandering around in the desert. And they're starting to go into the desert and there's not really any direction exactly where they're going. And they become hungry. And they start to grumble and murmur and they complain and they say, it was better when we were back in Egypt and we were slaves over there. They so quickly forgot about all the miracles that God had done for them. The dispersed church probably, I think, felt maybe similar to the Israelites back at that time. I think sometimes we can forget pretty easily when we're going through hard times and trials of how we've been touched by Christ in our own lives. And we can begin to murmur and get angry or resent the Word of God and question whether or not we really truly believe the Word of God. So James pleads with the church. He says, be quick to hear the Word of God. Be quick to listen. Be slow to anger. And we see even more of God's compassion. Notice that three times in, in chapter 1, between verse 1 and verse 19, James says to them, my brothers, my beloved brothers. You could think of that, my beloved sisters and brothers. He's talking to people that are hurting. 
And they need compassion. They need to hear God's love. And he's going right to them, right through all their trials, and he's saying, hear me. I, God loves you. Listen to me. Listen to what's going on. And right in our passage right here, right before he starts to charge them and say, hear God's word. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. He says, my beloved brothers, hear this message. I think it's so important for us to see that this morning, that God didn't just start spitting out at them saying, you're going through trials, hang in there, um, just follow me, listen to my word, blah, blah. No, God is hurting with them. God cares about His people, and we need to hear that. We need to hear that God just didn't leave them, that, that He loves them and He loves us through all the trials that we're going through. They need to hear this compassion because anger against God can be aroused so easily through hard times. We can easily experience anger and resentment towards God, towards the Word of God in many different ways. You know, we're constantly bombarded in our society with the way the world thinks. It's all over the news. It's on things that, that we listen to, the music we listen to, the mindset of the world is at odds with the Word of God. And it is easy to start getting off course and start thinking the way that the world does if that's what we're filling our minds with all the time. It starts to sound logical. It starts to sound sometimes more loving. I never would have thought... 15 years ago that all of a sudden in today's day and age, we would be able to choose what gender we wanted to be. It's amazing. But if you don't know the Word of God and you don't know that God out of His love chose us before the foundation of the world, that He chose us to have the personality that we have, that He chose us to be the gender that we are for a, for a reason, that it was a gift, that it was a blessing. If we don't see that love, if we don't know the Word of God and is near and dear to our hearts, then we could so easily fall astray to the way that the world thinks. The world says, hey, you're special. Who... Who's anyone else to tell you whether or not you're a guy or a girl? You can choose that. And then when someone else chooses, oh, I, I, you know what, I'm going to decide to be you know, the opposite sex or transgender or something like that. And you, you come up to them and you say, well, no, the, you're not that. Then the world says, well, that's hate speech so easy to fall into some of that. And when you hear it over and over again, then to start thinking, wow, God is not very loving, and start to resent God and have anger towards the Word of God. Abortion. Talk about it a lot. Our country lawfully performs abortions. But the Bible says that abortion is murder. And we abort so many babies in our world that a lot of them are aborted from with mothers that I think would profess to be Christians. 
And I, I'm guessing that probably a lot of mothers who would even choose eventually to abort their children, probably earlier on in their relationship with Christ, probably would have said, yeah, abortion's wrong, abortion's murder, I don't agree with that, God, does, God hates, hates it. I was trying to think of like, if we're not careful, and you start resenting the Word of God when different trials come, there could be an occasion maybe where an unexpected pregnancy happens. And all of a sudden, the mother and father, they realize all of their plans are going to change. And having a baby just doesn't fit in to those plans. And as you start focusing on those different things and start having a tug of war inside, you might start ignoring the Word of God and start listening to the Word of the world. And eventually that ignoring will start becoming anger and resentment towards the Word of God. Our desires and our fallen nature are in conflict with God. And often we don't want to listen to Him. We don't want to hear that our evil desires are wrong. It's very tempting to pick and choose what Scripture we want to listen to and and what Scriptures we don't want to listen to. Christians do it all the time. And one of the doctrines we do that with is the sovereignty of God. If you want to throw a grenade in the middle of a Christian conversation, bring up the topic of the sovereignty of God and sovereignty and salvation or, or choosing We don't, many of us, uh, might not want to hear what man meant for evil, God meant for good, and God's in control of that whole situation. It sounds too confusing to think that God could possibly ordain something sinful and still be righteous. It's too hard to fathom, so we're tempted to just throw it out. Many of us do that when really what we should be doing is just saying, God, I don't understand Your Word right now. Help me to hear. Help me to hear what You're trying to say and wrestle with that Word. And God will open up our eyes so that we can see it and receive the implanted Word of God. Just maybe God sees things a little bit more clearly than we do. It's a big possibility. God described Job as an upright man. God said that there was no one like his servant Job. We know how that that goes at the beginning of the book of Job. There's a scene where there's God and there's Satan. And God says to Satan, what have you been doing? Satan says, oh, I've been roaming, coming to and fro on the earth. And God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody like him. He's upright. Boy, that just sounds, it sounds to me like, what are you doing, God? This guy's, this guy's completely innocent and you're setting him up? The guy says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says to him, yeah, he's, he's going to worship you right now because he's not living a hard life. Just let him, give, give him to me for a little bit of, bit of time and he's going to curse you. And God says, okay. And then we know what happened to him. Satan struck down Job's kids and his servants and his animals. And God allowed Job to be inflicted with sores 
And the sores were so horrible that he took broken pottery and he was scraping his sores off of him as he's laying in ashes in agony. And Job eventually cried out to the Lord and he questioned the Lord and he cursed the day that he was born. And after a while of listening to that, then God spoke to Job and he reminded Job that he was God and he knows all things. In chapter 40, verse 1, God said to Job, He said, Shall a fault finder contest with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. That sounds so unloving with that backstory. Job had no idea what was going on up in heaven or wherever it was that they were speaking when Satan and God were speaking before all that happened. There was a bigger picture that God knew about. And there's a bigger picture that God knows about. And sometimes we're going through hard trials and we have no clue why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. And God says He loves us. God says He chose us and He saved us. And He's going to bring all things together for our good. According to His purpose. God was displaying His glory in that situation. How many times have you been encouraged by the story of Job? Over the years. We use it all the time because it's amazing of what He went through. But what we... What we don't realize sometimes is that God was showing Satan that, look, I'm in control. You realize Satan never got Job. What happened at the end of Job? How did, how did Job respond when, uh, when God said, he who argues with God, let him answer? This is Job's response. He said, behold, I am of small account. He immediately submitted to the Lord. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. It wasn't until Job submitted and covered his mouth that he was able to be healed. Job said he used to hear God. But now, after through all of that, he was able to see God. That's a hard word. It caused, it, it, we have to have faith that what we are going through, when you've lost loved ones, there are so many trials and different things that are going on in our church right now, and some of this could sound so non-compassionate. Is that the way to say it? Sometimes when you, when you start reading the book of James, and, and he's saying, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you're faced with trials of many kinds. You're like, is that like holding the, uh, a glove with a brick in it and going whack, whack across the face? These people are hurting. Consider it pure joy. No, that's not the tone. That's not the tone. Job's life's a vapor. And he was drawn closer to Christ through all of this. And God loves us. And He is refining us in its good and its love. Yeah. Do you believe that God is who He says He is? 
Do you believe that God is love just as the Bible says that He is love? Do you believe that you're a sinner and you really don't even deserve to breathe? We forget that. Job was a sinner. He's lucky he was breathing. But that's not how God was treating him. God loved him. He was able to be even closer to God after all of it. If we believe these things about God, if we believe that He's good, if we believe He loves us, if we believe that He died on the cross for our sins, then we got to acknowledge that He is God and we are not. And we need to put our hands over our mouths and listen to Him that we may receive the implanted Word. It's not easy. The last couple of years have been really hard for many of us. So many trials. There's people in this church that we hear about, we pray about all the time that can't even make it into our church service. I, I have no idea what that feels like. This message is for all of us. And it's a loving, loving God with a loving message. It can be so hard to persevere under trials. But if we hold fast to God's Word, He'll save us. I listened to a Billy Graham sermon recently. I've been really enjoying it. I've been listening to lots of Billy Graham sermons. Um, and in uh, one of the sermons, uh, Billy Graham said that, I think it was either in the 50s or the 60s, there was a time period where there were uh, a lot of clergy that were questioning the inerrancy of the Bible. And Billy Graham said that he started to even wonder himself, like, well, shoot, is, is, can I trust the Word of God? And, and he had turmoil inside. And Billy Graham said that he went out into a field and he found a stump and he took the Bible and he placed it on the stump and then he looked up into the sky and he said, God, I choose to believe the Word of God and I'm going to put all of my faith in You and believe this is Your Word. And Billy Graham said he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he could feel peace and power and all of us know what God did through Billy Graham's ministry over the next few decades. How powerful his ministry was. I know that after hearing the story about Billy Graham, uh, some of you could ask, Alan, are, are you just telling us that we should ignore intellect? And just blindly put our faith in the Word of God, even when it seems wrong. That's not what I'm saying at all. Because that's not how Billy Graham placed his faith in the Word of God. Billy Graham placed his faith in the Word of God by receiving the Word which was already implanted in him. Verse 19 begins with two very important words to take note of. It begins with the words, know this. The reason these words are so powerful is because know is in the perfect tense. Which means that it's talking about an action that took place in the past and has continual effects. We see that the action that took place is mentioned in the previous verses, the word no kind of acts like a hinge between the few verses that are 
just before the three verses that we're looking at today. So let's look at those, verses 16 through 18. Pastor Bob preached on them last week. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. There it is again, beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. All right, here it goes. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. This is why Billy Graham was able to receive the word of God with faith. And it's the same reason that you and I are able to receive the Word of God right now. Because by God's own will, He brought us forth by His Word. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. When we began our relationship with Christ, He opened our hearts and our eyes to see Jesus as Lord. And we submitted to Him and we confessed our sin before Him and He saved us. And He sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us by His grace. He chose us. His Word is living and abiding in us. And when we close our mouths, and we listen to the implanted Word. Then that Word which we receive connects with the implanted Word that was already in there. And there's like this dance that goes on and we just know. And we receive that Word and there is no question we have peace. What does Pastor Bob always say? I know that I know that I know. That's what I kept thinking of right there. We can't explain it. It's just so clear. Jesus is the shepherd and the sheep know the shepherd. We hear His voice and we come home. He draws us to Him. And as we're drawn to Him, and as we see Him, we want more of Him. And as we want more of Him, then we start to see the filth that we have in our own lives. And we don't want it anymore. We want to cast off all of our sin. We want to get rid of our anger towards God, because we want to see Him who He really is. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The word for filthiness here um, has a root which can be translated to mean wax. Which is very fitting um, for our translation here, because we know that there's a correlation between ears and hearing and now wax. I got real excited when I saw this. I don't know how many of you have a problem with earwax, and if you didn't raise your hand to say you're a mother, you're definitely not going to raise your hand to say you have a problem with earwax. But it doesn't matter because it has nothing to do with this. Well, it does, but it doesn't 
But it's possible to get so much earwax built up in your ear that you have trouble hearing after a while. In fact, it's possible to get so much earwax built up in your ear that you can go, I think, deaf. I'm not a doctor. I don't think we have anyone here. But I think when it comes to that point, you have to go to the doctor to get the earwax removed. And after the earwax gets removed, I think the doctor is going to give you a suggestion. The doctor is probably going to say you probably want to use Q-tips on a regular basis so that you don't get earwax built up so much. Likewise, we should constantly submit to the Word of God with our ears wide open and our hands covering our mouths. We need it all the time. Even when we may not understand why we're going through the the trials that we're experiencing. (laughs) I kept thinking of uh, Daniel and Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid while I was um, preparing this message as well. Um, I was thinking about how trials can seem so confusing and how we don't understand why God is having us experience the things that we're experiencing. And so I thought of uh, Daniel coming to Mr. Miyagi and wanting Mr. Miyagi to teach him how to do karate. He wanted Mr. Miyagi to just start teaching him how to, how to hit and kick and do all these cool things. And, and of course, we know how it goes, right? Mr. Miyagi, he's the, I don't know, he's called a sensei. He, he's, he's the master guy. He's the one with the black belt. He knows what, what's up. He's the mature one. Daniel's the immature one. Mr. Miyagi knows what he needs. So Mr. Miyagi made sure that the first thing that Daniel learned was that he needed to submit to his authority. You remember what one of the first things that Mr. Miyagi had Daniel to start doing? Waxing the cars. There was all these awesome cars out there. And so Mr. Miyagi says, I want you to wax all these cars. And so Daniel's out there murmuring, uh, just like totally just not happy, but he does it. So he's out there waxing the cars. Mr. Miyagi sees him doing it. And of course, he corrects him a little bit because he says, no, wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. And Daniel doesn't understand until later why Mr. Miyagi was having him do that. First of all, he had to understand that Mr. Miyagi knew what he was talking about. He's the one in charge and he needed to submit to him. Secondly, he found out later on that when he was doing wax on and wax off, he was being taught defensive moves as he's doing karate without even knowing it. And Mr. Miyagi knew when Daniel was ready for each step. And remember the final step. like that. But, <clears throat> but it took a while to get there. This is deep. We need to trust God and submit to His Word with meek hearts. We might not understand now why we're experiencing the trials that we're facing, but God has a plan and, he's, that, and He is refining us for our good. 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7, I love this passage. It says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're jars of clay. Frail clay. God is a surpassing power. He is the light of the world. I like to picture a jar of clay. You can't see through a jar of clay. When you put a light in the jar of clay and you put a lid on that jar, you still can't see the light. But if you put a crack in the jar, light starts shining through. You put another crack and a chip and all these different things, more and more holes into the jar, more and more light starts shining through until eventually the clay breaks apart and there's nothing but the light of the glory of God that's standing. Our trials, all the different things that we experience and we go through in this world, is causing our outer shell, our clay, to be chipped away and causing us to be refined so that eventually all we have left is Christ. And that's love. All we need is Christ. Hear that. Hear that this morning. Hear His Word and receive His Word so that you may be saved. I'd like to close with reading chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. All I'm going to do is I'm going to read chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, and then as soon as I'm done, if the ushers would come forward for communion. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue 
in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen.